What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Round Hill Live. This is the audio recording of our LinkedIn live sessions at Round Hill Investments. Will Hershey, Tim Maloney, and myself, Herb May, will be on here once a week talking about esports, finance, the public markets, entrepreneurship, and so much more. Thanks so much for chiming in with us. If you've got questions, please hit us up on LinkedIn. Thanks so much and enjoy the episode. We are live. All right. Where should we start, Will? Should we start with the story of uh, how this all came together? Yeah, let's do it and then see what kind of questions come in, where people want to take it. Okay. Um, it may come as a little bit of a curveball, but really the idea for Round Hill goes all the way back to probably December of 17. Um, Will and I were talking about all things cryptocurrency. Um, obviously, we didn't go that direction with it, but what we realized was that there was this kind of hunger for investing from a population that I think really skewed younger. And we saw that, and whether or not cryptocurrency is the right place for them to be investing is another question, right? There's tons of volatility. There's some scams out there. What we took from it was this generation of investors isn't being reached by the existing options, right? There are options out there, but they're just not speaking the right language. So we got to talking and we got to talking about things we could potentially do, um, you know, to, to help reach this audience. And ultimately Roundhill kind of followed almost a year later on the back of that. So I'm not sure anything you want to add to that kind of origin story. Well, I mean, I think it might be interesting for people to know that our personal history dates back until, you know, all the way back to, I don't know, mid nineties when Tim and I first met, you know, in kindergarten. And I think that a lot of people, um, when starting a business, you know, a lot of people, uh, kind of say, stay away from going to business with close friends, things like that. Um, for us, that hasn't been a problem. Um, thus far, knock on wood. Um, but I think that's just something that I think, you know, a lot of people shouldn't be afraid to kind of base their, their business decisions off of, you know, kind of things that people say and really, you know, everyone's kind of, um, every, everyone's situation is different and there's no right or wrong answer in terms of how, how to go about, um, starting your own business. I don't know, maybe, maybe Tim, we could talk about a little bit of the difficulties of, um, of starting any business, like forget about a registered investment advisor, which we are, which comes with so much other stuff. Yeah, no, I think that's a good, good next direction. But one other thing I would say is part of the reason we ultimately came to this is because Will and I, you know, kept an open dialogue about things that could be interesting entrepreneurial routes for the two of us. And it's good to have people that you can talk to and bounce ideas off. Cause ultimately if I had just been running through ideas in my head and not sharing them with anyone, this doesn't ever end up happening. So find some friends who are interested in talking about that kind of stuff and make sure you do it. Um, as far as starting a business, I mean, there's, there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of challenges associated with it. I think some of them are just the nature of the beast. Um, and then some of them are, you know, related to kind of the rules of starting a business in the US today. It's probably more interesting to talk about just starting a business generally. Um, I think for us, we we kind of narrowed down into the idea that ultimately ended up being Round Hill, call it in 
maybe June of last year. Does that sound about right? With the kind of thematic ETFs focused on, you know, high growth, interesting industries. Um, and once you do that, that's when the kind of hard work starts because you have to make sure that you can actually build a viable business from it. And the answer when you first come up with the idea is always a resounding yes, because, wow, this is a great idea. How come no one's done this? But after that, you have to go figure out if you can, you know, how you're going to fund yourself, um, whether or not you, this business can even be profitable the way you think it can. And I think that's kind of that's really where the hard work begins. Um, and we put a lot of diligence into figuring out whether or not this could be a viable business going back to kind of May or June of last year. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think a few kind of takeaways I have from our experience of raising capital or starting a business, I have kind of put it into a few main ones. The first one is somewhat obvious, but having a good lawyer, a good legal team for counsel is, is so, so important. Like the, the intricacies and small details of starting up a business, any business is so underrated to do it properly, at least in the States, at least in New York, like it was, it was kind of super valuable. And, 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 and as you get towards that capital raising process, depending on what your deal structure looks like for how you raise, it becomes even more and more important. Kind of another takeaway I, I would share is, you know, our first product here and our whole business, because we only have one product, is focused on esports and gaming. Um, you know, our collective backgrounds was not that of gaming analysts at Goldman Sachs. That would have made things a lot cleaner, a lot easier. But I think that in today's day and age, you know, with how much information is easily accessible, you know, if there's a particular industry that you're passionate about and that you want to go into, I think that, you know, with with enough research and, and time and I think not fooling yourself in terms of you're not an expert on day one when you decide, hey, I want to get into X, Y, Z, when I want to get into esports, for example. And I think, you know, embracing the fact that it takes time to learn, not calling yourself an expert on day one is something really, really important as well. I don't know if you'd add anything there, Tom. No, yeah, I think that's true. I, I mean, the, the getting getting good advice, whether it's from lawyers or from other former entrepreneurs, is really important because I think once you do something the wrong way, it becomes very hard to undo it. Um, so make sure you have the right people in your corner to kind of help navigate that. Um, I guess we can kind of segue into raising capital, which I think is probably an interesting conversation for a lot of people. Um, <clears throat> Will kind of alluded to this, but the resources are there in this day and age, right? You can basically, you're probably two people away from just about anyone via LinkedIn and you know, not to, not to give a plug here as we sit on LinkedIn, but we ultimately were able to, the, the end investor in our company we reached because I shot a cold LinkedIn message to one of the, um, kind of junior investors on the team. And he came back to me and said, I think this is super interesting. Let me put it in front of the, the kind of founder here of the fund. And it, it all kind of fell from there. So the resources are there and, and just make sure you use them. I think sometimes people are shy about going out there and, and building a network, people excluding Herb, obviously. Um, it, it's, it's, it's an option to you if you're willing to, to go that route. Um, 
And I, I think would, a lot of people. I would, Go ahead. I would just add also for, for those who are in the, the process of, of starting their own business and, and maybe raising outside capital, maybe not probably so obvious once again, but things always take longer than you expect them to. And I think on, on that side of things, especially if you're going out and, and, and starting your own, your own venture, um, really make sure that you kind of give yourself the right amount of runway, the right amount of time to say simple things like, how long can I go without taking a paycheck? Like, I think that kind of stuff and planning and making sure that you're, you're comfortable and then add, add three months onto whatever kind of timeline you have in your head because it always takes longer than you think. Um, a couple questions have started to roll in, so why don't we get going on those and then we can take this conversation wherever the, the audience kind of wants to take it. Um, Tim, I'll let you take this one from Jacob. Do you guys intend on releasing any other products within the esports space or through Roundhill? Through Roundhill, the plan is definitely to have additional products. Um, within the esports space is maybe a little bit more of a nuanced question right now. Um, from the Roundhill point of view, we really, we want to create products that do two things. The first is that seek to kind of capture, um, you know, movements in stock prices really from themes that are being driven by the next generation of investors. This group that we kind of talked about earlier who were investing in cryptocurrency, there's a lot of crossover there. It's not one one, but that kind of group, we want to create products that appeal to them and that they're the kind of driving force behind the trend. The second thing is we want to reach them on the channels that they're on, whether it's Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, et cetera. So within that kind of framework and within kind of things tangential to esports, there are definitely some other products that we think could be a good fit. Um, we want to make sure that what we're doing and the way we're trying to reach that audience is effective before we do that. But there are a few things we've thrown out. Um, well, I'm not sure if we want to share a couple of the potential ideas. Maybe we can even get some feedback for them. But, um, but some of the, I mean, yeah, might, might as well, right? Um, we've talked about potentially doing a broader streaming product um, where you get your kind of game streaming platforms, but you also have your Spotify's and Netflix's and the other kind of streaming venues. So that's one we've looked at. Anyway, anything you'd add to that? No, no, I, it, it's it's funny because I'm I'm watching the LinkedIn stream to make sure that I'm I'm getting the question. So if if we kind of have a funny interaction in terms of delay, that's what's going on, Tim. So I'm not I'm not uh I'm not yeah. getting real time. Um, no, I, I don't think I'd add anything to that. I think that just I would say um, with any new business, it's difficult to kind of um, project with any sort of certainty where things will go and where opportunities will come. I think at Roundhill, we've done a, a decent job building up our brand equity within the esports space. Um, our initial plan, as Tim alluded to, was to offer products um, beyond esports. And really esports, we just thought was the most compelling first option and really to expand out, outwards thereafter. But you know, I, I think that there's, there's always potential new opportunities that come when you're when you're a startup, which we are, and, and and maybe there will be something that we can do more directly in esports. Right now, we're focused on the public market side, which is for a lot of esports opportunities, kind of one step removed, but we'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, next question here um, from Brant, how do you set up quote unquote guardrails to make sure investors aren't controlling your direction? 
Um, I can start. I, I think that um, that that ultimately is well. It's it's dictated by two things. One, the most important really is who that investor is, and if you're lucky um, and you have a lot of interested parties, you can really be selective and find the find the right partner um, that that understands your business that wants you to kind of take the lead and, and not be involved in day-to-day -day decisions. I think that's the first part. Um, and the second is really kind of being the kind of being the, the true owner of the direction of the business, right? If, if, if it's your business, you should know it better than anyone. Um, and, and really any investor should, should, should respect that. But I think it kind of comes down to who you decide to partner with, who you decide to get in bed with when it comes to investors. I don't know if you had anything there, Tim. We have other yeah, questions. I mean yeah, just I think it's the same advice I would give someone applying for jobs, which is it's a two-way interview process, right? You want to make sure that the people you're you're getting in bed with, for lack of a better way to put it, that like you guys are aligned, that you have a good working relationship, and that you can see working with them into the future being something that's not a thorn in your side. I mean, specific to to raising capital for a startup, like once someone's in the cap table, they're in the cap table not very easy to get them out. They kind of have to choose to. So you have to make sure the people you put in there are people you want in there. And it's true, frankly, not just of investors, but also when you start looking at advisors to the business, right? Because typically advisors get some kind of equity ownership and employees, frankly. So uh, just make sure it's a two-way interview process and that you're you're working with people you can see yourself working with. Yeah, next question from uh, Ben Riley. Could Roundhill have gone down the road further before raising, or was it necessary to raise from the start? That's a good question. Um, obviously, that's going to that's going to vary very much so from business to business. Um, in our case, um, we we maybe could have gone a little bit further. Um, we were fortunate enough to be able to, to start things off with our friends and family, really got the ball rolling. Um, and it all depends on how capital intensive your business is. So. For us, the kind of the the you know kind of the expenses out the gate related to things like legal, like compliance, um, like quite honestly the overhead of listing an ETF on the on the New York Stock Exchange. Those are those are significant. Um, those are significant expenses. So for us, it was kind of um, we knew that it was somewhat capital intensive. Obviously, nothing like a, a more traditional commerce business where you need inventory and things like that. Um, so our business can scale very well, um, but I, I would say, you know, we we knew that within kind of, let's call it, you know, six to 12 months after the friends and family round, we would have needed to figure something out. I think that what you always want to be sure of is that you're not always spending your time focused on the next round. And I think you see that more and more in startup businesses today, right? You get all the way to series F raises in the private markets and a lot of businesses nowadays some of which go on to be some of the most successful companies in the world um are built on this concept of kind of pro users and, and kind of the revenue will, will come later with with the expectation that there's always that next round right around the corner um and i think that you know we've been in a bull market for call it 10 years with the lowest interest rates in the history of the world. We're seeing negative interest rate, you know, negative interest rates globally. I think even Greece is negative yielding debt recently, which if you told me that 
Tim's laughing because Tim Tim knows knows fixed uh, income way better than I. But if you told me that financial crisis time, I would have said you're crazy. No, but I think that that's led to this kind of expectation of there'll always be another round, and I think that it's kind of important to to weigh the risks of whether that's something you can count on versus you know getting all of your ducks in a row and focusing on executing your business rather than focusing on on raising more money. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think it's for us once you for us once there's an ETF live, it um, it becomes quite expensive. Our kind of monthly costs go up. So the way we looked at it was we need to have some funding and some runway to do this. Otherwise, we don't feel like we can do it right. Um, and that's the other thing I would say is like make sure you can do it right. It, it, there are some businesses that work well bootstrapped. I don't think ours would have been a perfect fit for that. Um, the only other thing I'd add is. Also, when you go into a raising, make sure you know how much money you need to execute, because if you're lucky and someone offers you more, it may not be the right decision to take it, right? If someone says, if you're raising two million and someone says, we want to give you five, that could be a good thing, but it could also force you to put practices in place that are trying new things and spending too much money. And it just, it's something I've been reading a good amount about lately. Um, there's cost to taking too much in a round. Yeah, next question here from Luis. Uh, how should someone, I like this one, how should someone in the esports industry approach an investor who doesn't relate to esports? I can start and then Tim, you can go from there. I mean, this is this is like, you're now you're getting into the day-to-day -day at, at Round Hill because our business is focused on telling that story and focused on raising assets in our, in our ETF. I think that you know, if you're talking about uh, kind of, um, let's start with the concept of a, of a deck that you're going into a meeting or a presentation with, I think that there's kind of two, two, two pieces of advice I would give there. One, if, if know your audience. So like if you're talking about someone who doesn't relate to esports, hit them up front with the, with the facts, with the data. I think that like the, the, the biggest thing that people are surprised by is just the, the raw size of the esports industry. Now, a lot of that's taking place globally, and you, you need to also be honest with that, that the U.S. maybe is behind in terms of, of esports, but hit them, hit them with the data up front, that there are 400 million viewers of esports right now worldwide going to 600 million. You know, that the gaming industry as a whole, which esports is tied to the hip to, is $150 billion industry growing 10% a year. Things like that are relatable, when you're talking about number of viewers, when you're talking about dollar values, that no matter who you are, whether you can wrap your head around why, the, the facts are the facts. And I think that would be the first thing. The second thing, which I think is, is it maybe it can work, but it, it can only work until the market wisens up. And something that we do is we're very open about the fact that the opportunity set here as we see it is much bigger than professional esports, right? It's gaming video content as a whole. It's this concept of streaming. And I think that being honest with the fact that the professional esports side of things is just in its infancy in terms of things like monetization, in terms of the size and scope of it, like also give give honest truths when you're presenting the data, right? The 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 esports industry is, is is very nascent, and I think you can't you can't hide from that fact. Um, one last thing I would say, um, it's just interesting because I'm writing a blog right now on kind of the 
um, the world of live streaming and which streaming platforms are relevant, which parts of the world and what, how streaming platforms make money and things like that. And one of the um, kind of points that I had to put in there was it, it relates to your question, which is, you know, the concept of streamer donations is one that's really difficult to explain to an older generation. I think probably, probably more than anything else within this whole world. And I, the best that, that I could kind of come up with, or I actually tweeted about it and someone came up with it was, you know, kind of a streamer donation. Like why would someone give money to watch someone that they're watching play a video game on stream? And let's assume that you got past the first part, which is why they're watching, which I think is much easier. And kind of the best was, it's like taking a, a selfie with, with LeBron as he's walking off the court at the end of the game. Like it's that 10 seconds of, of, of fame where you're interacting with your, your idol. Um, and I think always bringing it back to kind of things that are more relatable. Traditional sports is, is an analogy that, that's commonly used. I think that's, that's a good place for a lot of older investors to kind of understand. But let's also recognize that it's a digitally native concept and that relating it back to sports isn't always, might be the easiest way, but it isn't always the most accurate. Yeah, the only thing I would add is this, regardless of how you feel about Fortnite, Fortnite is a great kind of way to open the conversation with a lot of kind of older folks who don't follow because they probably have a niece or nephew or son or daughter or someone they know who comes home from school and jumps in straight away to play Fortnite with their friends. And it's almost become like the AIM instant messenger. It's like where people hang out. I think that kind of resonates with them. So they may not understand it. They may not like games themselves. They may even be annoyed that their kids play too much, but they will get the, yeah, no, Fortnite's like the tip of the iceberg. Like this is a real industry. So I lead off with that a lot. Um, I find myself saying, have you heard of Fortnite quite a bit when I speak with people who are, you know, maybe a little bit out of touch with gaming and that tends to be a pretty good way to get in. Yeah, um, Jacob, in terms of partnerships, Herb is the, is the guy to reach out to there. So. I'm sitting on his LinkedIn right now, but Herb is the guy to reach out to. Um, from Bailey, we have a question. If you have a brand with a large following but haven't set up multiple revenue streams and want to seek investment, how do you put a monetary value behind a brand with numbers and fans but little revenue streams? I'll let you start, Tim, by that. Yeah, this is one that we, we talk about a, a good amount internally, and I can give some perspective from the financial services industry, which I don't necessarily think is, is what you meant. But I was at a conference recently, and it was talking about mergers and acquisitions in the kind of advisor space, so people who are kind of wealth managers. Um, and one of the questions was, do you look at social following at all as a metric when valuing a company? And the answer was no. I think that's got to change in the future. I think there are probably industries where we're a little bit ahead of that. So I think when you look at gaming and esports, that's one where having a follower count is important because you can directly see how that ties back to you know potential future revenue streams. Um, but it's it's a great question. I, I don't know if I have the best answer, but I think it's something that investors who pay attention to it are going to be rewarded in the longer run because you know it's having a following like that that's engaged it's it's a it's an audience that's predisposed to buy your product when you have one so i it's it's a great question i don't have a perfect answer for it but i'm not sure what you'd add no the only thing i would add is and it, it relates very specifically to esports teams is you know 
virtually, and I think for good reason, virtually every deck that we've seen from teams um, mentions kind of follower count, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram or YouTube channel, whatever it is. Um, and I think that in that very specific niche of esports, uh, it it is it is really it, it's a for me it's a positive when I see that. Not that we're making investments into these private entities, but for me it's a positive because for me it's recognizing that this is really a content and media business. And you look at Phase, you look at 100 Thieves, you look at how they've built their brand on platforms like that. It's it's to me it's it's some it's some level of awareness of nothing else that you're going to need to find ways at least where we are right now to monetize beyond being the best in a given title. Um, yeah, the I, only oh sorry no no I'm done. I was going to say the only other thing I'd add is if you're if you're pitching a following as a reason for someone to invest, make sure you can back it up with engagement numbers or something that goes a little bit beneath the surface because I think you know there's a quality factor that a smart investor will want to know about. And if you're ready to talk about that's gonna that's gonna disarm them. Totally agree. Um, Craig, uh, with the comment coming in re regarding investors that don't know the space, everyone should also point out that the existence of the Roundhill Index can show it's a big growing market that traditional investors are putting money into. Liquidity with traditional investments will help everyone earlier in the investment stream. Craig, thank you for that comment. I can't go any further into it, but I, I would I would tend to agree, and I think that. I touched on this earlier, but what we see on the public side of things is typically, now there are a handful of exceptions, but companies that are related to the esports ecosystem, and I say esports ecosystem because the, the you know, kind of core professional esports, I keep coming back to this, early stages of monetization, there are, you know, large, large cap companies that are, that are tied to this whole concept of, of gaming and gaming video content and watching people play. Um, that have true revenue streams, that have profits. Um, and I think that, you know, kind of looking to those as, as examples of, of how legitimate this, this industry already is, but will continue to become, I think is a, is a great place to start. I think if you're looking at kind of the, the largest cap, what I would call kind of pure play esports companies, look at you know kind of the streaming platforms out of china but you're talking about a total market cap between those two Huya and Douyu, that's you know six or seven billion dollars and the public markets are not forgiving right they wouldn't assign a value to these companies typically unless there was a real business there and i think that's a that's a great place to start um chris jones with a question um i was looking at your overview of the esports ecosystem oh it seems like you're you're maybe, uh, hold on here. Uh, I'll follow up with you after, Chris. I think that makes the most sense. I think we're, we're kind of towards the bottom of, of questions. I don't know, Tim, if you want to touch on anything before we kind of sign off here. Um, no, I mean, if there's no more questions, I, uh, I would just say, I feel like they're going to come rolling in now that we're, we're doing a bit of a sign off. But um, I would just say thanks for listening. Um, we are kind of an open book, so if you have any follow-ups, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter, just ping us, happy to chat about what we're doing. Um, that's all I got. Sounds good. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day.